Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thinking of starting a podcast? We'll try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is my brand new co-host, Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. How you doing, Corey? Doing great, Mac. It feels good to be unveiled. <laughs> it's official. I know, dude. I, I'm glad to have you on. As you know, it's hard to talk about these things, however exciting they are, by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thank you for stepping into that role. I definitely appreciate it. But let's not waste any time here. So we know the Cavs are in the midst of a brutal West Coast trip. We've already seen one of these this season. And thankfully, the Cavs came out, you know, none, you know, the worst for wear and whatnot. And they were able to tread water through that West Coast trip to begin the season. But this this just feels especially rough. And uh, to top it off, you know, the Cavs are fresh off of a back-to-back in which they went one in one versus the Golden State Warriors and Sacramento Kings. Um, first, I just want to get your thoughts, your overall thoughts on the Golden State game. Because uh, without a doubt, you know, the biggest headline of that matchup was undoubtedly the return of one of the greatest shooters of all time in Clay Thompson, who, you know, many people may not know this, but the guy hadn't played an NBA game in 941 days, I believe. That is insane, man. Yeah, it's uh I'm so honored that we got to be the victim of Clay Day. Yeah, I don't know which, if honored is the right word for it, but I'll take it. Yeah, no, I was um it was definitely cool to see a Cavs game even be remotely considered as a must watch because we don't really get those anymore these days from the national media. Now, granted, it had nothing to do with us, but watching Clay back on the Warriors, like even as he came back and looked pretty good out there. He, it, it still brought a smile to my face to just see like the fun warriors back out there. Cause you kind of got that energy from the game. Yeah, you did. I mean, what's really more insane than that is that he came out from being out that long and he looked like he never left. I mean, he scored yeah. 17 points in a little over 20 minutes, including three of eight from the three point line and beyond the arc. Uh, and he actually reached a couple of milestones in the process of doing that. He scored his 12,000th career point. 
he canned his 1800 three pointer. And to me, I mean, you probably saw this live as well is the, the contested driving dunk on Larry uh, and Dylan. That was brutal to see. Yeah, that was a real mixed bag. I'm like, if I was watching the Warriors do this to like the Lakers, I'd have like a huge grin on my face. But instead, I'm like, oh, sweet. I didn't know that was in his bag anymore at this point. <laughs> but as we saw, Clay obviously played really well for not stepping on the court for so long in an actual game time. Granted, he definitely was practicing for months and months. But yeah, I was, it was pretty interesting though, because the announcers kept bringing it up. I know um, Van Gundy kept on saying how this had a playoff like atmosphere just because of it did. the clay return. And it really did. And you could tell for better or for worse, it did affect this young Cavaliers team because they were playing. I felt like they were playing at the Warriors pace more than they were playing at their own. Like they were never able to truly settle into the offense that we've been watching for the past few months. That is exactly what happened. They look like they got caught up in the spectacle of it all, and which is to be understood. You know, it's it's one of those things that you have to kind of deal with as a younger team, one of the more younger rosters. Not a lot of guys who have seen this type of uh, prime time before, and we knew without a doubt that this was going to be all about Clay Thompson's return, no matter what. <laughs> uh, that's all. If you listen to the NBA broadcast, that's all they wanted to talk about. Um, and rightly so. I definitely understand it, but, but I'm certainly happy that Cleveland finally got a primetime game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, about time. Want, yeah. If you want to call it that, uh, you know, being on M- NBA TV and whatnot, but it was still nice to see the, the eyes of the world upon them, especially considering the, the daunting schedule that they faced this season and the sheer amount of adversity they've gone through in their own right in regards to injuries. Um, but, you know, within that game elsewhere, uh, outside of Clay, you know, Draymond, he he started nominally. Uh, you know, he wanted to be a part of that. But mm-hmm. I, I guess he was a kind of a game time decision. So he didn't really play at all. Andrew Wiggins was kind of pedestrian uh, from a statistical standpoint. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we all know that Andrew Wiggins is forever going to be tied to the Cleveland fan base and franchise because he is the you know, the primary target in that acquisition for Kevin Love. Yeah. I was just thinking, I'm like, do you think Andrew Wiggins ever looks at Kevin Love like with just such envy being like, you son of a bitch? <laughs> I'm sure he does. I mean, I know we we joke about this, but I'm I'm certain that there's probably it's probably crossed his mind a time or two, especially when they play the Cavs. Yeah. And like the thing, like going back to what you said about this uh Cavaliers team not being experienced, the player that I expected to be like the most ready for the moment. Kevin Love did not play that well, honestly. I think he also got lost in the moment, too, because he was taking a lot of shots aggressively that we haven't really been watching him do lately. Like, I feel like he's been very methodical with his shot profile. We were seeing, like, super contested mid-range jumpers off turnaround faders, and I'm like, this isn't, like, 2010 Kevin Love anymore. (laughs) Exactly. It was, you know, it was clear that Kevin went out there with kind of a point to prove being the veteran, the the lone member of that 2016 title team. You know, I'm sure that that meant a lot to him out there. And you, you saw it on screen, him go out there and give Clay Thompson a hug. And, you know, these, these guys have relationships on and off the court, but it, it was evident that he, he was trying a little bit too hard. He was, like I said, he was ice cold, two points on the evening, grabbed seven boards, but the most damning part of all was, uh, you know, it was one and seven from the field and, wasn't able to hit any three-point shots, 0-4. So mm-hmm. 
Um, but you know, elsewhere, getting back to the Warriors, uh, Kevon Looney, man, he was a menace on the oh board. <laughs> I, I, I want to say he snacked 18 of them, if I'm not mistaken. I think and, you're right. Yeah, and he he honestly was a major reason why the Cavs struggled in that department. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, he also snagged four steals, so he he was very active defensively. Um, you know, we know Steph Curry was his usual dominant self. He had twenty eight five and five on ten to twenty one, and as you know, Corey, nobody can really shut him down. <laughs> he the only person that's capable of stopping Steph Curry uh, shooting wise is Steph Curry. Honorable mention, Dova Dova. <laughs> he, yeah, Delhi, Delhi gave him a run uh, back in the heyday, especially <laughs> that 2015, uh, 2015 finals for mm-hmm. sure. Definitely. Uh, you know, really everybody from top to bottom played well in their own right on that side of the ball. And uh, when you talk about Andre Godala, Jordan Poole, Otto Porter, Gary Payton, the second is that's a player I really like, man. I, lo- I really love what he brings to the table. Yeah, I feel like in a weird way, he kind of took uh, Juan Toscano Anderson's role that we he, saw him have last year. Yeah, he did. And he he actually looks like he, uh, you know, he's excelling at it. We we know his father was an exceptional defender and, you know, sons look like he's following in some of the same footsteps in that regard. Yeah, I um I do love that. Like, I hate to say it, but I do love the Warriors team, like for the past two seasons. Like, even though they like, especially last year, they weren't obviously like, the beautiful team that we've been watching in the past with like great ball movement. It's just like, I think that they do a really good job of making the most out of their acquisitions. Like they don't necessarily need to make big swings. They do well with these plug and place players. And now they have done so well over the past few years that they have a roster of like three superstars and a bunch of plug and play players that have really stepped up and to find players in general yeah they man i i I hate to say it too just like you i i like the build of the roster they've always known how to construct around their stars i mean that that whole front office they they have worked wonders you know for about the past decade or so in regards to the guys they bring in and out of there and don't get me wrong some of that comes from you know people veterans and whatnot wanting to play uh, with Steph Curry and company, but they've drafted really well. They've made some savvy trades. They just they just appear to be a franchise that that knows how to do it all, and you know in that regard. So I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not going to hate on that. I still hate them, <laughs> but I'm not going to hate on that. They are a well run, well oiled machine in that front office and whatnot. Um, and then when you look at the Cleveland side of things, this game. You know, like I've said a few times already, this was never really going to be about the Cavaliers and them being able to be on prime time for one of the first times this season. So it's always going to be about Clay, no matter what the Cavs did, even if they won, in my opinion. I think they, the, the national media, um, you know, NBA coverage, it all would have been centered around Clay Thompson. And again, rightfully so. The guy hadn't played in, oh, you know, 941 days. So you got to, when you when you got a player of that caliber, you got to kind of celebrate them getting back on the court. But in general, Corey, dude, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to mince words here. That was one of the ugliest games they played all season. Yeah, in a weird way, it kind of reminded me of the game they just they played against them earlier this year, where we played them close for a really good portion of the game, 
And then it just takes one Warriors run that just completely catches the Cavs off guard. And it really exposes the fact that this team is more uh, play, like the codependent on the players than just one player being able to match toe for toe what the Warriors were doing. Because all season it's been like a combination of four or five players getting like 15 points or more. But when they're all struggling and it's like, who can we turn to when the game is starting to slip out of hand? It seems like <laughs> no one is like willing to raise their hand sometimes. And you that know, makes sense. <laughs> you know exactly who that player would have been, but we know he's hurt right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people feel their own ways about that. So I won't get into that. I'll save that for <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but, you know, just when you go down the line here in regards to the players, um, Darius Garland easily, easily had one of his worst games of the season. He he really struggled. You know, he failed to hit double digit scoring for only the second time this season, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you want to know even more crazy stat line is he actually had the worst plus minus on the entire team. He was minus 22. That's crazy, especially when you look at how he ranks in the season and plus or minus. He's like, I think I last saw he's like fourth or fifth best in the league in plus minus right now. Yeah, and I mean, this is a this is a point guard that's been built, you know, one of the one of the next great ones uh, in the league, and you know, he got a new uh, a number of endorsements from players around the league, including Steph Curry. Um, you know, a lot of that attention was given to them the first time around, but. Again, the lights kind of shone too bright on this team, and it's to be expected. Um, outside of Darius, Evan Mobley did score in double figures. He had 11 points, but he also turned the ball over five times and had some head scratchers of plays. Mm-hmm. Very, very weird. But he's, you know, he's obviously a young player, so you got to expect that. Yeah, um, I feel like that excuse could be made for a lot of the players because like when i'm watching it it's like they were trying to do the same stuff they've done all season it's just they're playing a team that's at such a higher caliber of talent overall than what they're playing like the Cavs all season have been able to expose bad bench lineups all the time and when the warriors are so deep and they have so many players that can fit exactly what the Cavs are trying to do it really like you can tell like they're like oh we can't run the pick and roll i don't i don't really know what we're going to do now and then like it start they start to scramble and it turns into a really ugly iso ball i felt like at times yeah and and that's again why a guy like colin sexton comes into play here when you're talking about needing a guy to go out there and get buckets but when you don't have a guy like that and you can't rely upon your bread and butter like you alluded to which is the pick and roll you have to, you know, you have to figure out ways to generate offense in other ways. Uh, they just, they kind of seem flummoxed in the way and, and, and what Golden State and the unique challenge that they presented. Let's, let's not get around here. Golden State is probably one of the best defensive teams, if not the best defensive team in the league. Um, I haven't looked at the ranks in a while, but I know they're definitely up there. And that, and they're, like you said, they are deep, man. It's crazy. They, I'm surprised still they were able to get Andre back. That was a, a big time pickup, and he's very, very valuable for them. You look at really just up and down the roster, they have somebody who fits basically everything that they need, and they still have guys who aren't even playing. I mean, Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, these guys are not even playing. That's crazy. I know. You got James Wiseman also on the back burner. It's just like, how many embarrassment of riches can this team have? <laughs> Yeah, they. I mean, they definitely lucked out in this past draft. They're going to be able to 
you know, package a couple of those guys up eventually if they need to, or they're going to grow into roles eventually. It's just, it's crazy. And, you know, back on the Cleveland side of things, to me, the player who probably had, in my opinion, outside of Darius Garland, who I was really, really frustrated with in that game was Jared Allen. And, and, and some of that is just not even his fault. I don't know if you noticed this, but every single possession, every, every defensive rebound that he was in line to get, they put a wall up against him. Like there were easily three to four players, three to four golden state warriors around him, boxing him out, making sure he was working for all seven of the uh, rebounds that he was able to snag in that game. It was crazy to see. Yeah. I, um, I feel like, uh, Carter from the uh, Chase Down podcast said it best on Twitter where he was like, everyone wanted to attack Jared Allen because he they thought because he's tall, he should be getting all these rebounds. But like like you said, that uh, his positioning wasn't he wasn't able to get any of it because they were forming like a huge wall around the brim for him where he had to like fight through so many bodies to even get a chance for the rebound. And by the time he did, someone else was already in better positioning to just take it from him. Yeah, it, it was that in that, you know, in, the, in some of the possessions that he was able to make a play for the ball, it's just some bad luck. You know, a lot of those second chance points, a lot of the offensive rebounds hap- happened off of like tip basketballs, things like that. But they were definitely, they game plan for that. You can't tell me otherwise. They definitely, they they played it to a T. They, they coached specifically with Jared Allen in mind because Anytime a team like this who specializes in rolling out three bigs and plays a very unique brand of basketball, you would think that they would be able to go out there and put up more rebounds. Uh, and yet they only grabbed 42 in that game. And um, Golden State really crushed them, And it, to my surprise, on the offensive boards. It was crazy. Yeah, you would have thought that Draymond was actually back out there right. <laughs> with that, by just looking at the blind box score. And just looking at the total rebounds, but no, I, I, I kind of just like when I was watching this game, it was more of like not an expectation of trying to win. It was more of like, I just wanted to see how this team like reacts. Yeah. I just wanted to see like how long they could go before the experience just starts to kick in. And you kind of like, it, you, it pretty much started falling apart in like the middle of the third quarter, but up like a halftime, I was like, Oh, we're still within like six. So this is pretty good. Because I didn't feel like we were playing well at all. It was definitely a defensive slugfest in that first half. Yeah, neither teams particularly shot well, uh, especially in the first half. But Golden State was able to capitalize off of those second chance points and Mm -hmm. the lack of shot making uh, from Cleveland. But, you know, there was some bright spots uh, in particular. Lamar Stevens, man. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Love the game he had. Tell me your thoughts on that game from him. He he had uh, 17 points. I I feel like every time he got the ball, I was like, all right, he's gonna he should probably just pass it out at some point because I feel like Lamar gets when he gets scores too many points, I feel like he get starts to think of himself as like Kevin Durant reincarnated and tries to pull these dribble moves that I didn't even think he could he thought himself he had. But he was just bullying the Warriors. Like he was using his strength just to get to the rim every time. Sometimes it just felt like the Warriors were like, all right, I'll let you score two points because it's better than the chance of anyone else scoring a three because the Warriors know they can outshoot any other team in the league. But Lamar in general, if he carries this confidence for a few weeks, this would be an awesome acquisition for the Cavaliers to get this type of player from Lamar. 
Yeah, he he was very aggressive in transition. Uh, that was one of the things that I noticed from him. And I, I just loved the drives to the basket. He he just played forceful basketball. And I think that's probably his best, you know, the, his best faucet right there. We know that the the three-point shooting is not always going to be there for him, if at all. <laughs> He's just, mm-hmm. you can't really rely on him uh, from from that distance. But as long as he can develop like a, a semi-reliable mid-range game and he continues to provide this level of defense, because <laughs> maybe I'm crazy, but <laughs> I kind of like the look of him at the two. It's uh, obviously you don't want him. You're not going to want him long term to be the starter or anything. But I, I do like the minutes, at least from a defensive standpoint that he provides. Uh, he actually, like I said, again, nobody is going to be able to stop Steph. You just can't do it. But he, he did a pretty good job of limiting some of the opportunities. Uh, that he had early on, even though Steph was cashing him in uh, over DG. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. But it, it was definitely highly encouraging to see Lamar have that type of game against uh, such a big-time opponent. And I know some people think that that's a byproduct of Golden State kind of forcing other players to step up. Um, and, and I totally understand that. There, the Most of the defensive attention was levied towards DG uh, Mobley and Allen and you know you you got some contributions up and down the lineup especially within the starting five from Lowry and uh <clears throat> from Lowry and others but it just it just always seemed like this was probably going to be a game in which the Cavs weren't going to walk away with the dub I, I, I'm very proud of them though the other bright spot for this team and who continues to be uh, a very useful option, and he's been a very recent addition. And that is Rajon Rondo, um, poured in 15 points, dished out five assists, and almost had a small comeback uh, towards the latter stages of the fourth. What do you think of his his uh, performance? I think Rajon Rondo has been a really good addition to the Cavaliers, but I feel like I, I feel like I find myself zagging in this sense. I find that like when Ricky and Darius were out on the floor together, I felt like the ball was evenly distributed between the two of them when they were both out together. Like you would see a lot of off ball with Darius where they just want to get him to have a shot to be available. But I feel like in these minutes with when uh, Rondo and Garland are both out there, I feel like Rondo kind of dominates the ball and it really kind of takes away from what makes Darius so lethal for this offense. It's not that he's like a great off the ball shooter. It's that he can create shots when he has the ball for a majority of the time. And I've, I have found in both this uh, warriors and um, Kings games that when those two are on the floor, I feel like Darius kind of shies away and lets Rondo really take over, which makes sense because he's the veteran coming in. He's so experienced. He knows what he's doing. But I kind of feel like it's inhibited Darius. And yeah, it's kind of inhibited Darius in a lot of ways. I don't know if you feel the same. This has just been something I've been like kind of picking up on as I've been watching. Oh, no, I agree. Like overall, I think Rondo has been a tremendous acquisition, especially considering what it costs to get him in. Uh, Mm -hmm. No offense to Denzel Valentine, who (laughs) I also did like. but you know you're not not gonna make that trade right yeah no. <laughs> uh, but to your point no i do agree with that i think that some of that is the same argument that people were using uh for colin sexton and darius garland sharing the floor together a lot of people felt that colin was a, a lot more of a ball dominant type of player and him wanting to be on ball most of the time was kind of a hindrance to the breakout or 
you know, the flow of the game, at least in regards to Darius. And I think some of the same rules apply here um, with a couple of caveats. I think DG is still trying to allow Rondo to figure out, you know, his spots and how those two can coexist. But the, the problem I could potentially see later on down the line is when, when Rondo's shots, especially from range, don't continue to fall because he's actually been pretty proficient since he's got here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, which is weird. But we knew, at least with Colin, that he was going to be able to convert on those attempts, even whether it be off ball or on ball. Uh, you know, but with Ricky, you know, when you want to throw that caveat in there, all the rookie shooting percentages were were terrible. <laughs> you know, when you mm-hmm. when you look at the entire season, somebody had to take those shots, and they always seemed like they were within the flow of the game, didn't they? Yeah, it, that's where I feel like with Rondo, it seems like he kind of like Rondo, like we talked about last episode, he does the I'm really smart type of basketball player play style where he just wants the game to go at his pace so he can like operate at his like maximum capacity. And it kind of like it, it works sometimes with this Cavaliers team and others times, I feel like it really like kind of throws a hitch into what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel the same way. And I think some of that is going to come in time, you know, essentially when you asked, Rondo to come in and replace Rubio, you're really looking at the playmaking. You anything you got in regards to scoring was kind of gonna be gravy, but they have to figure out a way to coexist. And I think a lot of that too falls upon the coaching staff kind of staggering minutes and putting them both in a good position to win. Uh, my question to you in this regard is how do you think that they could solve this riddle? What would be the how would you run these two? Would you just want DG to continue to be more aggressive and kind of have Rondo be a little bit more off ball or I, cause I don't know if you can really no, truly distribute 50, 50 with the, with the way those two play. That's the tricky part is like, you really want Darius to keep growing as being the primary ball handler because he's the future of the team and he's shown an ability to be able to do that. But you also want, like the reason Rondo is so effective is that he, when he's on ball, is when he does all of his damage. Like you never have seen a situation in which Rondo thrives off of being the sidekick pretty much. And like Ricky did a decent job of like allowing Darius to do his thing. And then when Darius would hit a wall, it'd be like, all right, now it's my time to take over. And I feel like there is definitely a situation in which these two can work out together. It's just going to come with reps. I think like, like what you said, it's like they needed to develop a flow of an offense and this offense has enough versatility to it where I think they can easily work together. I just, I I feel like it's just going to come with time and reps. Cause Darius is like you said, he's been with so many other guards that require the ball in their hands in order to be effective. And Darius has grown into being more and more comfortable with that. So I have faith in both those players that it's going to work out. I think it's just watching a team get thrusted in a whole new offensive player and with like very little practice and being like, all right, let's see how this works. You know, what's crazy. I was just thinking about this uh, the other day and that's that Darius Garland has now played with like in his short career, he's played with three starting caliber guards (laughs) opposite. It's, (laughs) it's, it's, It's weird. And we, we obviously, we know that, Rajon Rondo, a lot of people still don't consider him a starting guard at this point in his career, but he definitely could start for a few teams. And I could definitely see him earning a start with this Cavs team later on down the line. We know JB likes to experiment 
with his rotations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just, it's <laughs> astounding to me that he's kind of had to adjust with playing with different play styles and such a short period of time in his young career. He's handled uh, it well, for yeah, sure. He he probably is the best suited to do that. I'm not necessarily certain. This is not a knock on Colin Sexton, but I don't know if Colin Sexton would be able to adjust necessarily as quickly as DG has just because of the way those two play. Um, with that being said, the latter half of this back-to-back, would, in my opinion, was like the much more interesting game to watch just because you know the Cavs really – we're looking to get a dub after taking a loss like that. Uh, and, you know, just purely looking at the box score of it all, you know, Cleveland did pull out a 109 to 108 victory over the Sacramento Kings. But as the score indicates, they they really almost gave it away, which was very, very frustrating. Um, to me, one of the biggest takeaways was that somebody must've got in Jared Allen's ass <laughs> because he came out with a vengeance on the boards. And I know a lot of that has to do with like the, the poor shooting to start the game on both ends, but you can't tell me that somebody didn't pull him into the locker room and just, just rip into him because he ended the game with 17 rebounds and he kind of looked through the first quarter. The guy had like nine or 10 rebounds. It was it was starting to look like it could be a career high. And although it didn't get to that point, it was still good to see him kind of get back to the norm. So, you know, for his overall stat line, 18 points, 17 rebounds, uh, two blocks, one steal, just just a all-star caliber game from him, something that we've become accustomed to. Uh, tell me about his performance. What did you like to see from him in that Kings game? I felt bad immediately for Alex Len, knowing that he was about to face the most pissed off version of Jared Allen that you could ever play. Because <laughs> Alex Len is like, oh man, nice. A, a sweet start for me after uh, for Sean Holmes was listed out. And Jared Allen looks like s- someone told him if he lost this game that his like girlfriend would leave him because <laughs> he just came out with an absolute, like you said, an absolute vengeance and immediately made his presence felt on this uh, Kings team. It was... Jared Allen, I, I, I've thought long and hard about this, and I've come to find that if anyone is going to be an all-star from this Cavaliers team, it's probably going to be Jared Allen, especially after these past few Darius games. Yeah. I feel, uh... like, I feel like it's kind of set in stone that we're all probably only going to have one all-star this year, which is great. I'll take one over. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the first all-star since, since LeBron left, I, I, I would definitely agree with you. I think Darius Garland, that golden state game probably put him in the coffin in that regard. It's still possible. The Kings game did too, in a way though, because he kind of still brought that struggle into this last game, which is kind of weird. Cause I was also thinking his worst games I can remember was always when he had a good, def- like pretty much they made a concerted effort to get rid of him. Like there was the bucks game when they had holiday on him and he struggled a lot in that game. And then with the warriors game, he struggled with Wiggins being on him for a lot of the time. And I feel like the Kings, I couldn't, I was, I was thinking when I'm watching him, like there's really like Davion Mitchell's probably their best perimeter defender. And he wasn't really out for a majority of the time with Darius. Right. So the str- I couldn't really, I, I would start, but then with, like we saw he was injured with that back injury 
And I yeah. feel like that was kind of nagging at him. A lot of people on Twitter were becoming doctors and saying how they <laughs> that always happens. You know that. <laughs> yeah. Where they just go like, oh man, you know, I saw that spasm in his left shoulder blade and that was it Bad. for him. Yeah. He's done. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I mean, you just look at his like worst games of the season. Uh, to me, the the other game that he scored in single digits was against Denver. Then the following game, he came out and dropped 16. And then, uh, as you alluded to, you know, that, in that Milwaukee game, 10 points in that game. Then the next, the following game, 24 against Chicago, he, he was aggressive and looking to get his shot. And we just, we didn't see that last night. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad the confidence doesn't seem to be an issue for him. Like, he's still kind of taking the same shot profile and trying to do the same stuff. It's just that they don't fall, which happens in the NBA all the time, as we're seeing with Laurie Markkinen right now. I mean, the shots don't seem to be falling that often. And Cavs Twitter is ready to ship him out to Siberia I don't the get next it. day. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I guess we can talk about him a little bit. I just, for me, if you take out the the stat lines the shooting percentages for Lowry he does so many other things and I know I can be tough on him too but and just I just watch his play his effort his underrated defense at this point he actually brings a lot to the table and a lot of people like to point to his plus minus as an indicating factor on how impactful he is and gotta say man it rings true so I I don't get the let's ship Lowry out for Karis LeVert or, you know, we'll talk about some of these other deals in a minute, but I just, I don't understand it. I think that he's been, you, you, at the very least, you have to give him the rest of the season, don't you? I think so. I think a lot of people like to still point out, like, how can we play a power forward at small forward? It's just so gimmicky. It doesn't work. And obviously it doesn't work because look how he's shooting. And it's like, he, when you look at it, the shots he's taking, they're no different than the shots he took in Chicago when he had a good three point shooting season. I mean, you go through slumps as a shooter right. in general and he, he, what, like you said, like the defense for me is like the huge plus because coming into this trade, I remember I wrote an article for fear of the sword saying like, I, I can't stand this trade because he's such an awful defender. And we were swapping basically in my mind, the defense and like versatility of Nance for a, just a pure three point shooter. And I was like, so we basically traded for a younger Danilo Gallinari. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> what's crazy about that is that um, both of those guys had injury, you know, issues coming in uh, to that deal. We, we kind of know how impactful Larry can be when he's healthy, but he always had some some ailment going on, and that played a big factor, and especially getting younger too, acquiring the presence of marketing. And marketing is actually outside of like the COVID absences has been relatively healthy. Um, I hope yeah. I didn't just jinx him, but <laughs> he's he's definitely uh, turning a corner, turning a new leaf in that regard. Yeah, going to the shooting, I saw a uh, a tweet that compared the shooting stats of Larry Nance and Lori Markkinen. And actually Nance has been shooting better in almost every category than uh Markkinen. But also I guarantee you, it didn't show it on the graphic, but the shot attempts are definitely way. That's what I was going to ask Nance. you. Like, what is the caveat with that? Like is his, cause I know he's not playing nearly as many minutes as Markkinen is. And no, and I feel like he's still out many. a lot too. Yeah. Like they're, they kind of like pull him and, I don't know what their rotation is with Larry. I don't know if it's like injury concerns or whatnot, or if they're just pulling him in and out of the rotation, but he's not getting nearly as much run as marketing is. And you got to think that's a plus. 
No, the uh, Trailblazers lineup is giving Kevin O'Connor seizures because he just wants Larry Nance to play like 35 minutes a game. Whatever he talks about, Larry Nance, you keep you like leave that podcast being like, man, Larry Nance is just a, a superstar in the making <laughs> every yeah. every time. And uh, yeah, I love Laurie. Honestly, he's really grown on me. Um, the defense is great. The effort's great. And he does do, a, he's playing way more interior style offense than I was ever expecting him to do. Because if there's one thing he never liked to do, it was really take advantage of the, like what the defense is giving him. Even like when you watch his Chicago tape of last year, he would always like shy away if his matchup ever gave him a tiny bit of pushback, regardless of the height of the defender. Like he was always put on threes and they would just kind of be like, leave him alone. And now he kind of, he's like become kind of an alpha in that sense where he just wants to like take advantage of any mismatch. And I, I'm, I'm here for it because if you, you try to point out like, who do you want to start at that three, that will give you the defensive upside that marketing brings along with the willingness to keep shooting these threes. There's absolutely nobody, even a healthy Isaac Okoro doesn't fit in in that regard at the three uh, just yet at this point. I think when you combine both, the offensive and defensive impacts uh, that that he brings to the table is it's no question he has to now. If you end up benching, and I think I tweeted this out, somebody had asked me uh, the other day, would I consider possibly starting Lamar Stevens and giving? Well, actually, I think it was starting Dylan Windler and giving Lamar Stevens a little bit more run than he's getting now. No, I think if you bench. Marketing, you're going to really just, especially when the shooting slumps come around, you're really going to destroy his confidence. And mm-hmm. you're really, honestly, removing one of the better defenders that the team has. And it may not look that way just because he doesn't put up like fancy block or steal totals, but he's very impactful on that end. I think for me, like the the biggest thing in regards to improvement that I want to see from him, just flat out be aggressive. When the shot isn't falling from three-point range, find other ways, like you said, find mismatches. And I think some of this is on the coaching staff too to kind of scheme up some better ways to get him inside more. But I get the kind of the nature of the beast with the way this team is built uh, with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley occupying the paint uh, primarily and in a lot of the sets that they run. But that's that's really my only concern with him outside of the the shooting that comes and goes. But that's like you said, that happens pretty much with all shooters. And I'm I'm pretty I'm okay with the production. I guess that that's the bottom line for me. I'm okay with the production that he's bringing because you don't have a proven option behind him. That's number one. Number two, mm-hmm. you made a big investment to get him. <laughs> yeah. So I mean that's. That's just that speaks volumes, in my opinion. Um, elsewhere in that game, you, you look at the impacts across the board in terms of some of these other guys. You know, the starters we talked about Darius already. We know that um, his chances at making the All Star game are probably gone now. And it, I'm not going to say, you know, it'll never happen, but just looking unlikely. And Jared Allen has by far the best chance in my opinion at this point mm-hmm. um, outside of those guys, Evan Mobley, he had a very good game, 17 points, seven rebounds, five assists, a bl- uh, two blocks and a steal. And he had a very, I, I'm sure you saw this, but to beat the buzzer, to be the shot clock, rather, he had a very nice turnaround. Do oh. you, you see that? Yes. I, I remember I even like just like out loud, I looked at my girlfriend. I'm like, that's not normal. <laughs> like that was insane. That was like 
Dirk-esque in a way, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, at his size, a man like that should not be able to do that. <laughs> uh, and he actually played the most minutes last night in the Cavalier. He had 42 on the second half of a back-to-back. That's <laughs> that's crazy to me. <laughs> uh, Thank God he's not, like, injury-prone, knock on wood. but Because, <laughs> like, we, we play him like a ton of minutes. I think, I feel like he probably plays probably top two in minutes per game on this Cavaliers team. Cause I feel like anytime I look at the box score, he's always up near the top in minutes. He's getting the Isaac Okoro treatment this season. I mean, <laughs> Isaac was like getting heavily featured in regards to minutes last season. And we, we knew that that was probably going to happen just because the guys uh, out there they they needed him as a defender and the same rules apply to Evan Mobley this season we know that he is a more complete uh more complete player than Okoro is and was at that point of his career and he's not even a finished product yet um and on the defensive end we already talking about this guy like he should be an all defensive candidate so you you want to have him out there as much as you can without running him into the ground but i think you would have to think that this this uh this team will probably look to rest some of these guys at some point during this uh brutal stretch of games that they have going on and you know outside of the starting five you go back to the bench for this team kevin love had more of a bounce back game he had 18 he didn't shoot very well and only two of eight from mm-hmm. three but he made up for that at the free throw line so i guess you can take that as a a, a plus <laughs> um and I, I think we touched on this in the last episode, but what are your thoughts still kind of the same on Kevin Love's chances for six man of the year at this point? Or, or were his chances uh, I think crushed so. during Golden State game as well? No, I think because, uh, like, you know, All Star game is like at such a weird point in the season where all the teams are still like trying to figure out where they are and like players are still kind of up in the air, but Kevin Love's role with this Cavs team is probably going to stay the same the entire season. Like we need him in order to win games. He really allows this offense to get new life off the bench. And now, especially without Ricky and putting in Rajon Rondo, like he's willing to score off this bench. Like him and Jetty are going to have to do a lot of the muscle of scoring for this team. If we expect our bench minutes to not, sink the team like it's done in the past yeah i mean speaking of jetty jetty had a pretty good game 15 points two of six from three two buzzer beaters <laughs> yeah like it his his shot making has been he's had a couple of those this season i feel like um not just this game it's, it's been uncanny but I, I definitely like what he's been able to do and you know as well as i do there is nobody that you want to to have a turnaround season like Jetty just because of what he dealt with last year, being pulled in and out of the rotation and mm-hmm. having his confidence shaken at any given point in the season. Uh, but yeah, that 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 game was just it had all of the makings of a trap game. We know Sacramento is you know are who they are. They're fifteen and twenty seven uh, after that after that game and. That's one of those that you you pencil in and you hope that the Cavs can beat. And what's the old adage? You know, you, you beat the teams. I, I'm spacing out on this, but you beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. Something like that. But yeah, it, it definitely it's felt those lines. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like it was a game that the Cavs were going to let slip away. But 
Dude, let's talk about that last defensive possession by Rondo. Did you did you catch that? that yeah, was, I did. That was a beautiful. <laughs> that was beautiful lockdown D at uh, what is Rondo like age thirty five, thirty four? Yeah, thirty five. I'm. I think. And the majority of people are ready to just let Rondo retire in L.A. It's just I don't know. He's he's proven to be very productive. I'm I'm very very glad Kobe was able to make that deal. Uh, but speaking of deals, before we end today's episode, I just want to ask you this, man. We've been getting a lot of rumors. We've been hearing a lot of noise. And I think Evan, uh, Evan even, you know, got into this. What is the deal with this Eric Gordon type? <laughs> I A first in Ricky Rubio to acquire Eric Gordon. Does that catch your fancy? Uh, no, not in the slightest. <laughs> I, uh, you know, if maybe like if it was Aaron Gordon, I would see it more, but Eric Gordon is like, I don't see how Houston is in any position to be like, you want this player that we barely use? <laughs> Please give us a first. <laughs> the contract alone to me, I think he's under contract until 2024 with a pretty hefty. hefty price tag. I don't, I, I, especially a first rounder. And I know this, we're getting to the point now where Cleveland is probably, and I think the, the idea floated was like not this year's, but next year's first, uh, a lottery protected pick. I get it. I, I understand a lot of people are thinking that, well, whatever player they select in, the, in that draft is not going to be an impact or rotation player. But still. No, I, I'm I'm not about acquiring a 33 year old Eric Gordon. That's just that's just me. If you're gonna throw, if you're <laughs> gonna talk about Ricky Rubio and first round picks, you you would have to think Karis LeBert, uh, mm-hmm. would you not? Yeah, that's what I would immediately jump to. I mean, like the thing about Eric Gordon that's also funny to me is that what is the number one thing that Cavs fans have complained about for the past like four years? It's Kevin Love's contract. We're paying like 30 million for a 32 year old player. Okay. How about 20 million for a 33 year old player? That's probably going to age worse than Kevin Love is aging. Yeah. And I mean, that's just to me, that's moving backwards and I get it. Rubio's situation is what it is. The Cavs are kind of in a rock and a hard place with that. Cause they have to deal with not only that, but Collins deal. And in my opinion, I still think Collins going to end up signing a one year prove it type of deal with the Cavs, but Rubio is in a very tough spot and so are the Cavs in regards to evaluations and some of these extensions. But I think Gordon, that's just completely wrong move. If you're going to make a move at all, and I'm definitely not suggesting one because I think the Cavs could, should remain, just just stay, stay the course, stand pat, whatever saying you want to use. I just don't think they should be swinging for the fences right now. And I think if you're going to do that, you, you got to look at, getting a guy who's at least younger. And I know Karis LeVert is like 26, 27. He still fits the timeline better than a 33-year-old Eric Gordon. Just no. Um, if you had to throw a primary trade target out there, a realistic option, who do you think that would be? Hmm. It's like kind of trying to – like you have to decide with this Cavaliers team, what do you want for them more? Do you want them to have a score first two, or do you want them to have a, like a, a decent option at the three that can like a true three that can move Lori 
into a, a role into the bench. And I feel like either way, you're kind of taking away a player that brings something special into the starting line. Cause like you, I also feel like this Cavs team should try to stand pat and see like what the future holds and see when they actually need to make a move names. That I kind of like, like obviously top of the list unrealistically would be like a Brandon Ingram type, I think would be awesome for this Cavaliers team, but I don't see that at all as an option. And like, if I could just make Buddy Heald's contract cheaper, I would also be extremely enticed with a Buddy Heald <laughs> type deal. I, I I just feel like, I don't know about you, I constantly find myself struggling for players that not <laughs> only like don't hold a lot of risk, but also we don't have to give up a ton for, because I just, I can't find a situation in which I find a, like an even level between both those aspects of trades. Certainly. Uh, I know a lot of people are talking about Harrison Barnes too. Speaking of the Kings, what do you think about him? Harrison Barnes is good on paper. I think he's like a good plug-in player, kind of like what we've been seeing with these Hawks veterans, what they did, like they came in, they fit their role. And then you're kind of seeing as each year moves on, like now Danello is getting rumored to be traded and they want to like move all these players around. I think he'd be fine to plug in, but he's also an older player from what I remember. Isn't he like in his, he's he's got to be mid thirties at this point, or, you know, maybe like 31, 32. Yeah. He's old. It's kind of like more of the Eric. It's kind of the same thing as Eric Gordon. Obviously Harrison Barnes though is way better than Eric Gordon is now, but I just don't really like these like rental type deals. Like I feel like if we're going to make a big, like a trade in general or giving up assets, I want it to be like, all right, like a Jared Allen type of acquisition where we're, we're acquiring someone that's going to be a part of the team for years to come, not just a rental. If you can get Cam Reddish, do you make that offer? I, I like Cam Reddish with the idea that I'm not giving up a ton because I, I, I feel like Cam Reddish is like the definition of erratic. <laughs> Cause like there's he games where, where you're like, you just see games where you're like, man, Cam Reddish was insane. Like I, I, nothing, I, I could predict nothing better than when Cam Reddish had that good game in the playoffs last year. And everyone's like, Oh my God, the Paul George comps are true. I knew it this whole time. And I'm like, Cam Reddish has been terrible for like two plus years. And because he had one good game in a meaningless playoff game for them, where they were already down that we're suddenly thinking Cam Reddish is the next Paul George again. But that's the way Twitter is these days. It's like a player has one good game. And it's like, all right, Twitter let's DMs. just get, they're like, all right, now that we uh, got him into the basketball hall of fame, how quickly can we compare him to Jordan? It's <laughs> a very good point. Yeah. I, I like like the potential that Cam Reddish showcases, but if there's far too infrequent that he showcases it, it very erratic. That was a very good uh, use of that word for him. Uh, before I let you go, man, on the schedule, Utah, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Brooklyn. Give me a record prediction during that stretch of games. I feel like I really would love a Utah. I'll take a Utah win and then trade that for like an OKC loss, honestly, at this point, because that Utah game we played a few, like a month or two ago, was my probably my favorite game of the year so far. I feel that or the Memphis game we just played because we went toe to toe with a very competent West team. 
And I would really like us. That's to like at a least... potential finals matchup eventually down the line. A lot of people are saying that. Yeah. <laughs> the 2024, I was seeing gang flowed around. It's like, this is going to be the next Cavs warriors for years to come. And I, um, I, I would love for us to at least win three of those games. I just feel like we need to just get through this, like with a above 500 record. And I just, I feel like once we get through this, it should kind of like, it's going to, it's obviously going to settle out, but I, I, I think this team just needs a little more confidence coming out of this West coast trip. Cause like you said, we had some tough tests so far and I think it just needs to end on a good note. I certainly hope it does, but I'm not going to let you off that easy. I need a record prediction. How many games do they win? I'm going to say f- three. <laughs> <laughs> You're I don't confident. want to get too confident, you know, You're confident. Yeah. I, I, I like it. I don't know if I'm there, you know, I'm like ultra confident in regards to the Cavs most of the times, but God damn, this is a rough stretch. Utah, San Antonio, Oklahoma city, Brooklyn, that Brooklyn game scares me a bit more than it did in the past. Cause Kyrie's back. <laughs> I was going to ask, I kind of forgot. Is it in Brooklyn or is it in Cleveland? Uh, that game. I want to say that that's actually in Cleveland. Oh gosh, that's that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I was hoping so it was in Brooklyn. He'll most likely suit up for that. So that's uh, I think this know, is technically maybe his first time playing in Cleveland since he's been traded. Yeah, I remember he's like always been injured or opt not to play. I don't know some weird stuff going on there, but you know he's gonna in any time he plays Cleveland because he's played them since, just not in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. He, he loves to run up the score on him. <laughs> so love that <laughs> good yeah. memories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that that scares me a bit. Okay, see, that's probably the most winnable game. I I really truly never know what to expect out of San Antonio when you play it. I really like Dejounte Murray. Me too. Uh, they have a couple of good guys there, and we we've already seen what Utah can do. So that's a that's a tough matchup for them, and that's definitely going to for me. The plays the players to watch in that game are going to be the matchup between Jared Allen and Rudy Gobert. That that's always a tough ask for him, just because he he's he's getting better, but Gobert still definitely has the edge. Is Gobert back from protocol? I want to say that he is. Yeah, he's in, he is not. He's still listed as out, so maybe not. Maybe we won't have to deal with that. Thank God. And now <laughs> that I'm looking side. at this, now that I'm looking at this, they have at least let's see here one two three about seven players who are listed on their injury report including joe ingles um rudy gobert rudy gay they they they, they've got a few guys that'll probably miss that game so that'll probably that'll probably definitely work in the Cavs' favor but i know conley's dealing with the knee thing too yeah but he played the last game but i have him for fantasy so i get his updates all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah a good player to have he he provides a lot of value Yeah, you know, fantasy always makes you pay closer attention to some players than you would like. Certainly, yeah. Uh, but with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and close out today's episode, guys. Like I always tell you, you can reach out to us at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Have a good one.